Welcome to episode 10 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club, where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hey, Kristen. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Good. I'm really excited. We're starting a new book today. Yeah, I'm so excited. We're starting Shadow and Bone today. So like we do with most of the new books we start, I guess we'll just talk a little bit about how we got into um, the series that we're talking about. So I got into the series a few years ago through actually a mutual friend and coworker of ours, uh, Ashley. Um, I started with the Shadow and Bone series because I knew there was a show coming out and um, I also knew that they were published first and I I do kind of love <laughs> reading them in publishing order. Um, but I read Shadow and Bone, then I read Six of Crows and I did read the next book, King of Scars. I haven't read the most recent book yet, Rule of Wolves, uh, but it is on my TBR and I hope that I'll be able to read it soon. Um, I have to say I did love Six of Crows more than this series, Shadow and Bone, but I do just love the writing and the world, um, that this author puts us into. And I, I think it's super interesting. So I, I do enjoy these books. I just, some of the plot lines I don't love as much as her other books, let's say, but that's getting into like spoilers that we, we don't really need to get to yet. <laughs> so how did you get into it? I asked uh, as the one that gave you the book. <laughs> yeah. You, you actually gifted me the entire uh, Shadow and Bone three book like series as a box set for my birthday one year. Yeah. And obviously, whenever one of us gives each other books, we're doing it for a reason. Like, uh, <laughs> here, this is good. You should read it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I remember, like, I unpacked it from the gift bag. I laid it on a table in my porch to like remind myself to get it and read it and it slowly moved into my living room and it just like the intention to read it was there and it just it just never it just didn't happen for a while yeah so I just it you know it's one of those books like you have a pile of books in your house that you want to read and and it just never happens this was that uh then I saw the show came out uh on Netflix Mm-hmm. and I decided to watch it because it looked like something I would like. And mm-hmm. I think you and I even had a conversation about it, and you said, yes, and then you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I watched the show. I liked it. And initially I forgot that you'd given it to me and went to the bookstore to try and find it. <laughs> Then there was nowhere to be found in the bookstore because everybody had bought it because of the show. The show was so good. Yeah. Yeah. So then I went back home and I was like, hang on. I I actually think I might already own this. And sure enough, I did. (laughs) That happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I read it and I liked it. Yeah. It, it's only fair because 
you got me into so many books through <laughs> watching adaptations that like you'd take me to the theater and you'd be like we're going to see this and or you'd put on a show when I'd come over to your house and, or a movie usually because shows are a newer thing then yeah but you'd put on a movie and be like we're gonna watch this and I'd be like oh guess I gotta go buy all the books in the series now but yeah a give and take exactly so yeah, we're reading part one of four of Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo. That's chapters one to five. And we're also going to just discuss the show a bit because we we liked it. And um, obviously there are some differences, but we just want to just bring it up kind of like we did with Discovery of Witches. Uh, just a heads up, we are not a spoiler-free zone and things could get a little saucy. So, uh, just a little bit about our author, Lee Bardugo. She's a best-selling young adult author whose novels have recently been made into the TV show Shadow and Bone. Uh, There is currently one season available on Netflix with a second season in production. Uh, So, Lee Bardugo created the Grishaverse with the Shadow and Bone trilogy. Uh, There was also a Six of Crows duology. Uh, a King of Scars duology, and as well two uh, two sets of short stories. Uh, and she's still writing, so she's keeping the Grishaverse going. Yeah, so Shadow and Bone is the first novel that was published in the Grishaverse. Uh, but you could also jump in with Six of Crows because it's two separate stories that don't really intertwine too much so you could kind of start at either point um shadow and bone though follows alina starkov who is a normal girl who's actually extraordinary (laughs) we love our tropes here (laughs) we do love our tropes um the netflix shadow and bone show uh follows both the shadow and bone series and the six of crows series so if you're gonna watch it you should read both if you care about that or just jump in and start with the series because it's also a great starting off point um and yeah since this book is a little shorter than the last one we're kind of just going to talk about the series as well as we're going through Right. So like we already said, this is week one. So we'll be talking uh, through chapters one to five, which corresponds to episodes one and two uh, of the show. So um, we sort of get a decent prologue in this uh, book, which they call the before. So it's not called a prologue. It's called before. And um, it starts with our two small children coming to live at a duke's house, claiming that they're orphan refugees of the border wars. And this is something that sort of, I don't want to say that it bothers me, but it sort of brought up questions for me all throughout this series, is that they are orphans all Mm -hmm. the way through, right? Like, they're orphans. That's sort of a title for them, right? But... We never get much backstory at all. Actually, in this book, we get no backstory at all from their lives before. No. And I think I think it's because they can't remember. But 
also in the show, they kind of throw in a bit of backstory, I guess, where they like are talking about, I think Alina asks about the fold on a map and then her, I want to say governess, but I don't know if that's what it's called. Um, she says, that's what killed your parents. So there's a lot more of a background in the show than there is in the book. Like we don't even get that much, I guess. No. I guess it's kind of a show of um, what the times are like, what the war is like, that there are orphans that you don't know where they came from and you don't know why. Like, I, I wonder if that's just kind of just getting us used to the war that's happening. I don't, I don't know what the intent is, but we really don't get anything about their past. I don't think in any of the books that I can remember. Um, so we get a little description. The boy is short and stocky, the girl. So in her head, she says, I knew I was different. Some foreshadowing there. Um, something that like really bothers me is the housekeeper and the cook in the story. It's like in the first page, talk about how ugly the little girl is and like, she's ugly and skinny. Like that is so mean to say about a child plus an orphan child. Yeah. It's so unnecessary. Like why? It is. Why? (sighs) Yeah. Like, I don't know what pleasure it brings you to call out a little girl, but. You know, I guess fill your boots. Um, so the more unfortunate thing is that the little boy and the little girl are hiding in the cupboard in the kitchen and they hear this and the boy tells her, tells the little girl, oh, I don't think you're ugly. And that sort of made her feel good. And she sort of didn't really understand why. So they're already sort of laying the groundwork for at least one-sided feels. Yeah. Um, it mentions that in the summertime, they had a really great time. They laughed and played outside and like could run in the fields and, uh, you know, just live their lives as children. But in the winter, it said that the adults were a lot more eager to just sit by the fire and sip on like alcohol. (laughs) So the older kids in the, uh, in the orphanage would beat them up and pick on them. And this is what sort of made them bond. So they they would start using like unused rooms in the hidden, the unused portion of the mansion. They would start hiding there and using that as their play place to get away from the bullies. So it sort of cemented their bond of like it's them versus everybody else, right? It's just the yeah. two of them and then there's everybody. Um, later... Uh, we get our first sort of note of the Grisha examiners. And this is sort of the one thing that bothered me about this book. And maybe it's because I'm used to the world building of Sarah J from our last book. So last month when we did House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J Mass, uh, the first uh, week there was a ton of world building. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost the opposite. So they're throwing in words that I don't understand without explaining it. Yeah. So like they talk about Grisha's and Grisha examiners. And then I think it's like a full two pages before they actually 
get into a little bit of what a Grisha even is. Mm-hmm. And like the same thing with the word Kefta. Like yeah. they they just flat out say the word. And sure, after a little bit, you get the meaning of it. But I wish that there was a little bit more. I feel like I, I just wish it was a fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah. Anyway, we eventually like you figure out the terms. So Mm -hmm. these Grisha examiners come to the Duke's estate to discuss the little boy and the little girl. Uh, And there's three of them. They're all wearing a different color kefta, which uh, I guess is like a coat, like a long coat. Yeah. That's mostly Uh, from the show, I guess that we. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So. One of them is red, one is blue, and one is purple. And color, actually, for the keftas is very important, as we'll see later on. But again, this is another thing that is mentioned, but we don't understand the significance of it until much later. Mm -hmm. So they talk a little bit about the Duke, who owns the estate. So apparently he was a war hero, and he opened his estate to orphans and widows from the war. Um, they also say that they don't know how old the kids are, but they're assuming it's around the age of eight. So it's sort of another reason why I don't understand why there's no mention ever of their families, because I feel like eight years old, you're old enough to remember your family if you had one. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, we don't know what happened. Maybe it was traumatic for them and then they forgot everything or like... I don't know. I'm so. actually just just now thinking of it. It also could be a deliberate choice to sort of insinuate that the kids' lives start there with each other instead mm. of before. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So as of now, we don't really know much about the kids. Just they're around eight. The housekeeper says that the girl has a talent for drawing. Uh, And the boy, he likes to be in the woods. And this actually stays with them through, like, this is something that that continues into their adulthood. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I was not, I don't think what I'm into now, besides reading. uh, Well, they would have just said, for both of us, they would have just said, (laughs) she's a great reader. And that would have been the end of that. And they'd still be right right now. (laughs) It's just, I don't think that what I was into at eight years old I'm really into now like Barbies I know but I guess I was in I was into swimming and not that I'm super into swimming now but I kind of still am you like it you don't get to yeah I did do a 5k swim across the ocean this summer but (laughs) woot woot (laughs) but yeah no I think if you if you picked certain things, I'd probably be into the same ones. Maybe. But like anyway, cutting my Barbie doll's ha- hair, not still into that. No. So. Um, so the two kids are again, so they like to hide out and listen in on the housekeeper and the sort of the kitchen staff and whatever. So they're hiding out again and they're listening to this conversation. Because they don't get many visitors, so it's, like, really a big deal for there to be three Grisha uh, in the living room. 
but so this time they're hiding out and they normally can remain unseen. But one of the Grisha, the one in purple, has this like sense and knows that they're there. So says like, they're listening in on our conversation right now. <laughs> so the housekeeper then yells at them. And we finally, after like five pages of them just being the girl and the boy, we learn their names. Oh, wow. I didn't realize we didn't get their names until now. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. So they've been the boy and the girl, but now they finally have names. The girl is Alina Starkov, and the boy is Malian Aretsev. Um, I do really like the take that the author has on this alternate universe. Like, I really like... Um, so if you haven't um, noticed, or if you haven't... It, I, find it, I find it is a little bit more obvious in the show that everything sort of takes on a Slavic. Mm. Like they use a lot of Slavic words. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the dial, like a lot of the vocabulary stems from some form of Slavic dialect. Yeah. I don't speak any Slavic dialects, so I couldn't tell you how accurate they are, but they all sound that way. Mm-hmm. Um. So the children sort of first called the Grisha witches. So we're sort of forgetting our first little hint of, okay, well, maybe this is more than just like a alternate reality sort of, or an alternate universe sort of um, book. There's actually a little bit of magic in there. Um, but the Grisha are really offended at being called witches. Uh, and they sort of, there's sort of an awkward situation with the housekeeper at that point. They sort of like give her the stare down because it's like, where else would they have heard that term? Yeah. Um, and they say, well, no, we're not witches, but we have mastered the small science that keeps the kingdom safe. Again, we don't really get a, um, we don't get an explanation of the small science so we just have to sort of keep that in our back pocket and wait uh the housekeeper mentions that there's also a first army that keeps everyone safe so i think we could safely say that the housekeeper would rather that one yeah so i think she's a bit defensive of that army is how it kind of feels yeah so the first army is sort of the army that's made up of regular soldiers, right? So they're regular people. The second army is the one that's made up of the Grisha. So if you're a regular person, obviously you're going to appreciate the first army because they're going into it with no magic, we'll say. They're just mm-hmm. using their own blood, Wits sweat. And and, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. They do go on to explain that not everybody has the ability to be a Grisha. So it's it's born. You, you are born Grisha. You are not made. And that's why the Grisha examiners are there to test the kids to see if one of them are Grisha. Mm-hmm. And they said, they sort of say, if by some miracle one of you is Grisha, then you'll have the finest education, you'll have the finest clothes and food. And you will directly serve the king. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of one of those things where like, why on earth would you say that? 
Like, I feel like you have this conversation every book. You're like, why are you trying to piss people off and get results? Like, just be yes. nice and they'll appreciate it. You have this, yes. <laughs> literally, you could, you could do a TED Talk <laughs> from every single one of these books. Just be nice. <laughs> I just, yeah, you're right. No, but it's, it makes sense. (laughs) But no, but I do think that it is, uh, it's a silly thing for them to do. So they literally have found them sneaking out together, like, and listening in together. The sort of, they've heard that they're both orphans. They're, they look like they're like friends. And then they're saying, oh, well, maybe one of you will, uh we'll get to be us and then you'll get to come with us. And it's like, you are deliberately threatening to keep them apart. Like yeah. that's never, it's never a good thing. You just no. don't say it. Like there are some things you could do to keep, keep it in reserve anyway. So because they make it abundantly clear that it is a rare occurrence and the chances are that if maybe one of them will be, but if there is one of them, then they'll be separated. So they, the kids sort of look at each other like they're about to like face war. So like they know that it's us against everybody and they hold hands. And that's sort of all we get is like, that's sort of our last look at our before is the two of them holding hands like and sort of looking at each other like they're ready to take on the world and that's it yeah i don't i don't really i don't really understand if the so when you watch the show there are flashbacks during the show to their past and in one of them you see this moment where the tests are there and then basically they're like if you're injured you can't be tested and I, I don't think that's actually true in the book, or we don't hear that in the book at all. No, you're right. It's That is the way that they do testing is a little bit different, I think. Like, they, they throw that in as our little plot device in the show. Mm-hmm. That's not accurate. Yeah. So in the book, like, obviously, they do get tested because they're right there. They're walking in to be tested. And I kind of like the books way better because in in the book, like not to jump too far ahead into the chapters we're going to talk about today, but in the book, she just pushes down and overcomes it. And that's kind of why she's sickly and probably ugly is because she's denying who she is. But in the show, they're like, oh, she just cut her hand and she didn't test right because of that. Um, but I, I, I like the books way better. I I get that they're going to change things for the show because nuances don't work as well. And also there isn't obviously a whole lot, like we don't really get anything else about the testing other than every now and then, like maybe she'll say something about it, but there's nothing really profound about the testing past now. See, I sort of am the opposite in that I sort of like the show's way better Hmm. of testing than the book so in the book when they do the test to see if you're grisha essentially they just 
call up their power and try and make yours respond, right? Yeah. So in the book, she sort of pushes that down, not to get too far into the spoilers. Yeah. But she pushes it down, not sort of not fully consciously aware of what it is. Literally in response to what they just said to her, that if one of you... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, but like, but I don't think she's as an eight-year-old fully aware in the book that what no. she's pushing down is Grisha power. Like mm. she is fully, uh, when she's an adult, she fully believes she's not. No, exactly. But she, at that moment, as an eight-year-old, is like, if one of us is different, they're going to take us. So yeah. I think that she's actively trying to. Yes. She probably feels something and is like, I could just be imagining it like we all yeah. do when we think we have COVID. I'm like pushing it down. <laughs> but yeah. No, but, I think you're right. <laughs> but in the show, I like that it was sort of intentional. So she mm-hmm. intentionally, secretly injured herself so mm-hmm. that the test wouldn't work. Like she knew yeah. all along she was different. And she knew that if she tested, she would show up as something. So she intentionally hurt herself. It just, it just felt more purposeful to me. Yeah. I get what you're saying. She was more, she was more aware of of her decision. Yeah. And I, I do like that more, especially kind of when you get into chapter three, especially like, she is very adamantly oblivious and I'm like you would realize by now yeah like you would notice by now like I know that you don't feel like it but you would notice by now and um yeah I do appreciate that when she's older I wish that in the book she realized earlier I'm like you're not cute anymore stop pretending (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was a, a nice, that was a little bit of a digression. Yes, but uh, it's needed because it, it is. It's needed because it just is. Exactly. <laughs> so we jump forward to the present day and we have an army regiment marching toward the shadow fold. And again, Another word that they shove in that they don't explain <laughs> in another, like, page. But whatever. Um, so a soldier bumps into another one. And the smaller one essentially calls him out. And then the smaller soldier says that people aren't used to someone small in stature to be super lippy. <laughs> and I love that because it's actually, I do think small people would be lippy. Yeah. Like, I would 100%. think the opposite. Yeah. Everybody Usually. I know that's short is super lippy. <laughs> yes. Jeez, when I have students, the smaller they are, the more, like, like they need to calm down because they yeah. get into it. Uh, but again, we, we actually don't know who the soldier is at this point. Hmm, hmm. I wonder. Yeah. Uh, we're told that we are in the land of Ravka. So that's the name of our country. Mm-hmm. And the shadow fold severed Ravka from its coastline, which makes it landlocked. So it essentially 
um, cut the country into two pieces, a part that's next to the ocean and then a part that's not. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get our sort of definition of the shadow fold. So apparently it's depicted on maps as sort of a stain, like a black stain or a black cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it sort of looks like a lake. Uh, <laughs> they label it the unsee to put people at ease for if they have to cross. Uh, apparently it's like just a big like swath of darkness that holds horrors inside. <laughs> I uh, see how naming it the on sea changes that, but. <laughs> hey man, whatever puts you at ease. <laughs> Fair. Uh, they also say that it's been steadily growing every year. Um, but it also sort of just appeared one day and it's mm. been growing every year. Um so we finally then learn that the little soldier who's super lippy is Alina Starkov. Surprise. <laughs> uh, and she's walking with Malian, who uh, is known as Mal. Like, I don't think they ever call him Malian in the book, in the book no, again. Ever. He's just Mal. Uh, so they're all walking towards the military encampment that's close to the fold. Uh, her and Mal are like teasing each other. Uh, apparently he's turned into a super flirt <laughs> and he's like flirting with other girls on the walk. It's very common for there to be other females in the regiment. Like it's an equal playing field, mm-hmm. guys and girls. Um, I think they just recruit everybody. Yeah. Uh, he and also Ali- seems like a fuck boy. Mal is a fuck boy in the books. Yeah. No, he really does. He uh, he comments that he's, like, really good-looking and all the girls <laughs> notice him all of a sudden. Um, she also mentions that, like, other girls have pretended to be her friend and get close to her just to become closer to him because yeah. he's so hot. I really dislike that. I think that's a really terrible thing to do if you're a girl. I feel like that's that's not the way to get noticed. Yeah. If that's, if that's your aim, like, you don't use another girl. Yeah. Come on. Stick together. Exactly. Um, They sort of talk about how happy Mal is that even though he's going into the shadow fold. So like he's acting super happy, even though he has to go into the shadow fold, which is super dangerous and he could die. And he sort of is like, well, like, you know, I got my rifle. I'll be fine. And they're like, well, guns and rifles aren't really useful. Um. Another little bit of terminology that they drop in here is Mal then says, oh, they've got a bunch of Grisha pyros sent to cover the skiff. So like we like I know what the word skiff is just because of where we live. Yeah. You know, <laughs> boats are boats are prevalent. So I know what a skiff is. But again, like the whole Grisha pyros thing still I know not, what a pyro is. Yeah. But Grisha like the term still hasn't. It's no. not super familiar yet. I'm assuming it has something to do with fire, but I actually have no idea what it means. Yeah. Not in a good tense. I'm like, <laughs> that's not a good thing. I don't want pyros around. No. And why around would you a want skiff. Them? Yeah. You wouldn't want them on your boat. No. Especially if your boat is made of wood. Exactly. <laughs> they sort of drop in that Alina hasn't been sleeping well, but apparently she never sleeps well. But apparently the past few days has been worse because she has this feeling of dread uh, that she doesn't really understand. And 
then we um, discuss that her whole regimen has been chosen to make the crossing um, of the shadow fold. So they're all making the, the crossing of the shadow fold. This is very different than the show in the show. Her regiment was not chosen to make the crossing itself, but Mal was chosen through a lottery uh, to make the crossing. And Alina uh, was never supposed to go, but she ended up, and we'll I'll, we'll mention this a little bit more when it gets to mm-hmm. that moment. Um, but she ended up ensuring that she had she would also go because she didn't want him to go without her. Yeah. So it felt a little more desperate in the show. Mm-hmm. Which in the I books, understand why they did it for like drama and keep people yes. watching and like yeah. 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 Um, they mention the term Volcra. Uh, so a Volcra is a monster in the fold. So it's generally the issue in the shadow fold. It's what they come across that is so dangerous. It's a monster with bat wings, claws, and very sharp teeth. So it tends to kill a lot of people, which is why nobody wants to go in there. <laughs> Makes sense. I'd stay away too. Alina is like super worried about crossing the fold. Uh, but Mal is not at all. He's like, yeah, it'll be fine. Like people make the crossing all the time, whatever. Yeah. Um, as they're walking down the road, they have to like rush to the side because a horse and carriage like comes barreling through and like almost runs them all over. <laughs> Uh, and they say, oh, that was the Darkling's carriage. And the Darkling is apparently somebody very important. But again, we don't know who it is yet. There's an awkward moment when Mal sort of realizes that they jumped to the side. He put his arms around her <laughs> and I guess doesn't let go. And so they have this awkward moment where he sort of like notices like, oh shit, I haven't let go yet. So then he lets go. <laughs> and like it it makes it obvious that you can tell Alina has feelings for him because she keeps mm-hmm. bringing up how handsome he is and how much of a ladies man he is and how she doesn't like that. And, you know, oh, he's got his arms around me. Um, but this almost makes it seem reciprocal a little bit like this moment the fact that he kept his arms around her and then only let go when she sort of like noticed yeah and was kind of awkward about letting go like that's the part that makes you be like hmm yeah yeah and like obviously Alina doesn't notice it but as a reader you can kind of be like oh what does that mean and that's that's one of the the hardest parts of the book is that it is in Elena's point of view. Yes. So this is a uh, a first-person-only narrative. So we really are only in Elena's head. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other carriages go by, a red one and a blue one. Uh, out of the blue one, a Grisha sticks her head out the window and, like, locks eyes with Mal and makes sex eyes at him. 
is what I thought. And like Alina sort yeah. of just standing there, like, well, fine. This is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> um, we meet Mal's two friends next. Uh, they're trackers in his unit along with him, uh, Mikhail and Dubrov. So they sort of say, oh, you know, Grisha girls can put spells on you. <laughs> and then they, you know, they tease Alina a little bit. They're just like acting like bros like they do. Bros. They are bros. Yeah. But we get a bit more about, I guess, Grisha from them too. And a bit like, of, I guess, things people say because Grisha are different. Yeah. So, yeah, like, we learn that obviously, yes, the Grisha are very well taken care of. They are given fine clothes, a really good education, and, you know, they serve the king. But amongst the common people, they are not thought of well. Mm. Which, like, um, is pretty shitty because, like, you're you're born a Grisha. It's not like you can choose it. So, like, even if you were just a regular person, then if they decided, oh, hey, no, you're a Grisha, not decided, but if they figured it out, like, now you're in this group that people hate, basically, or fear yeah. for, yeah, it's, could be shitty. Yeah. Um. So the three guys walk off, and they're, like, shooting the shit about hooking up with the hottie Grisha that was in the blue <laughs> carriage. And they essentially leave Alina behind. Like, she's just walking down the road and they leave her alone. Mm. Like, how rude is that? Mal is supposed to be, I guess, technically her her oldest friend. Yeah. Her, like, her, really, her family, if they're mm-hmm. still in the same regiment and, like, still talking to each other after God knows how many years. Yeah. And then he just, like, walks off without her. Come on, dude. They're also teenage boys, so. Ugh. Um. So they, she finally shows up in the town where the military is stationed, uh, and the town is called Kribirsk, uh, and she has to go to her surveyor tent. So this is when we learn her job. She is a junior cartographer's assistant. So every single day, she has to submit two drawings or renderings. So I guess in addition to this world being sort of um, uh, Slavic in nature, it's also, um, I don't want to say primitive, but there's no technology really. Yes. So like she's a map, a junior map maker. So they have to resort to pencils for maps. Like... Mm -hmm. Which is why, so her proficiency for art is helping her here. She's a great drawer, so therefore she can make good maps. Yeah, it's it's just not modern technology. Yes. I don't know how they are with, do they have electricity? I think they do in the little palace, but I could be wrong. I don't remember hearing either way. Anyway. Yeah. So when she goes in to do her drawings, her colleague Alexi wants to know everything about the Darkling coach that 
Alina saw, I guess. He saw that it went right by her, so he's trying to get the deets. (laughs) (laughs) He even, like, gives her one of his drawings so that she only has to do one, which was nice. Yeah. Um, After that, they go for supper, and they sit with all the surveyors. It's a very clicky sort of... It's a very clicky area. So all the mm-hmm. surveyors sit with each other. The trackers sit with each other. The, you know, first army sits with each other. The Grisha, I don't even think, eat in that tent. They have their own tent to eat in. Probably not. Um, so essentially, they sort of start talking about the Grisha and how they don't think the Darkling, who was the one in the coach, is natural. Mm. Uh, and then we hear someone else say, oh, it was another Darkling hundreds of years ago that created the Shadowfold. So that's another little bit of information that we get. The Shadowfold was actually created by uh, a Darkling hundreds of years ago. And now we have another Darkling. And I guess people don't really like him? We don't really know because all we have is like Alina. a few frat boys telling us. So. Mm. Yeah. We don't really know what that means because, like... I will say that, like, their military strategy sucks. (laughs) So, by the Grisha get their own tent that's apparently huge and, like, luxurious, the Darkling gets his own tent with guards and uh, corporalki heart renders. Again, words we don't really know now. Yeah. Um, But it just seems to me like if you wanted to create, if you wanted to create a sense of family and a sense of like cohesion community. in your army, yes, community, in your armies, why would you keep them so separate? Mm-hmm. Like if you know they're going to be stationed together, instead of two separate tents, make one big one. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? It just, it seems, it seems. Counterintuitive. <laughs> yes. Good yeah. word. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess uh, Alina goes to bed uh, later and she wakes up to tap, tap, tapping on the wall. And she knows immediately that it's Mal. So she goes outside to meet him. I would not wake up to tapping on the wall at all. I don't understand how she does. I guess she's a terrible sleeper, but I would not wake up to that. I'd wake up to that. I wake up to everything. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm out like a light and <laughs> I will sleep until my alarm wakes me up. Uh, They sort of talk about what they are doing to cross the fold, like why they're crossing the fold. Uh, Mal, they sort of say Mal has to hunt and track animals that can only be found on the other side um, and Alina needs to finish her cartographer training on the other side. So they're going and it actually, it sounds like they're going to be there for a little while anyway, mm-hmm. on the other side and they're really excited about going and like seeing the ocean and stuff. Yeah. Um, She sort of admits that she likes Mal romantically like likes yeah like uh-huh. she likes likes him uh but she doesn't think that he likes her back like he thinks she thinks that he just sees her as his friend um 
they joined the military service together one year ago, so they haven't been they haven't been in it that long. Uh, and he noticed and says to her that she looked miserable at dinner. <laughs> That's such a nice compliment from the guy that you have a crush on. Thanks, bro. Right? <laughs> but I will say that um, him noticing that she looked miserable makes her wonder if maybe he has a thing for her too. Because yeah, she's like, he's... why? Yeah, like why else would he notice? Maybe he's more in tune to her feelings than she thought. Yeah. Um, so they sort of confide in each other that they are both nervous about the crossing. But Mal sort of says, don't worry, it'll be safe. And tomorrow after the crossing, we'll both be on the other side having a drink together. Uh, and he sort of is very clear to say, like, just the two of us. And says, like, it's always been just the two of us so he is more attached to her than she believes yeah especially than we've seen proof of to this point yes um but he i guess alina does say in her head that he's never looked at her the way he's looked at other girls and she sort of feels like they're growing apart like he's gotten stronger and braver and she sort of feels like she's stayed the same. Like she hasn't really grown mm-hmm. or gotten any different. Yeah. Um, and it sort of makes her feel a bit like iffy, like uncertain, I guess we'll say. Yeah, for sure. Insecure. Yeah. Insecure. Um, so the next morning they make their way to the sand skiffs, which are like, shallow sleds I I feel like they're just like really shallow boats Mm. like in my head I think of like the Viking boats from Mm -hmm. How to Train Your Dragon yeah same right yeah exactly sails on them that is what I think of so they have huge sails in them and that's what helps them get across the unsea so but instead of sailing across water they sail across sand I don't um, understand the logistics of it. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I would. I mean, I, I guess. How? I guess I, sand is is you could go through it like that. Like I it's not. I feel like it's not that much different than like say snow and snow. You can have a sled go through with it with a motor. Yeah. Yeah, well, but they I have they, use, they have magic. They do. Yeah. But yeah, it always, I'm like, this part, I'm just going to let my brain gloss over because (laughs) it doesn't make sense. So I'm just going to let it be. I'm going to put that off as uh, I don't understand and move along. Um, I will say, so like, again, we sort of talked about it already that in the book, they are all going, all the trackers are going together to track um, the animals. In the show, he's picked from a lottery of trackers. He's going as the only one. Uh, so that's sort of our difference there between book and show. Alina is not happy about him going. And she's like, well, I need to go with him. 
I will say it's not a great choice. Like, it ends up being a good choice, yes, but like... No, does it? For, I mean, for for him, I guess. For them, yes. But like, in the grand scheme, her as a regular person, as she, that's what she thinks of herself, she's a mm-hmm. map maker... What is she going to do to keep him safe? Yeah. Like, what is she thinking of? Oh, I've got to get on that boat so I can go with him. Like, why? What are you going to do to help well, him? like, if he's going to die, at least I'll die too, and then I won't be sad. <laughs> That's I literally. Fair point. That's what I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so in the show, what Alina does to ensure that she also goes on the boat is she finds a map of um of the other side of Ravka that they need and she burns it so again we said before that this world has no modern technology so she burned the map that is the only copy of the map that they have they don't they can't like make copies willy nilly or like save it on a PDF or something like that. <laughs> so she, there were no other copies of the map. And then she volunteered to go and, and redraw the map. Mm. So she then, after she burns the map, volunteers to go so that she can draw, redraw the map. And I think initially she thinks that if she volunteers then she'll be the only one that has to go uh they don't need cartographers on the other side right now so uh, you know if they just have the one it's fine and then no the i guess captain makes all the cartographers grow go makes all the cartographers go so yeah she sort of put her foot in it a little bit because before it was just going to be her life on the line, but now it's everybody's. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we figure out that they're making the crossing in the book. They're making the crossing to make trades with the other side of Ravka. Um, So from their side, they're bringing timber and grains and cotton, sort of like unfinished natural resources. And then they're going to return. They're going to go to the other side of Ravka um and trade for finished goods, sugar and rifles. Uh all important things. Yep. Um the skiff holds a whole bunch of armed soldiers along with some Grisha, two Etherealki, which are which is like the word in this book for summoners. And they're wearing dark blue keftas with Um, sort of silver thread at the cuffs and that indicates that they are squallers so they can raise or lower air pressure and make the sails of the boat fill with air and sail them across the sand fancy way of saying that they uh, can use air magic Mm -hmm. yep so (laughs) i guess this is sort of the thing so the grisha are like split into a bunch of different categories so they are ethereal-ki, so that means they wear the blue kefta, but there are a bunch of um, subsets of ethereal 
who could control different things, these ones just happen to control air. So they're called squallers. Mm-hmm. Um, there were also a couple of etherealki there with the blue kefta with red cuffs. And because they had red cuffs, that meant that they could summon fire. So they are the pyros that were mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there was a whole bunch of armored guards, including Mal with a rifle and a bunch of bowmen. So like people with bows and arrows. Um, so yeah, so the ship is loaded with weapons, I guess we'll say, but in weapons in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the book, for some unknown reason, Volker start attacking the boat five to 10 minutes into their journey. Like it's not very many minutes. Like they're not on the way very long. Yeah. Uh, and hundreds of Volker start descending on them. In the show, it's a lot more deliberate. Mm-hmm. Like, they're being nice and quiet. They're told to be quiet. They're moving along. And one dude, like, lights a candle. Yeah. And that sort of alerts the Volcra as the light. That's what alerts them to the presence. Yeah. So that's another little subtle difference between the book and the sh- and the show, is the show sort of gives it a little bit more purpose. Yeah. It makes, like, the Volcra have a reason for things, like... We yeah. see this light, it, we are drawn to it, like moths Which to a flame. makes more sense. I don't know why they were being very quiet. They were just going through. Maybe they're scouting now. I don't know. I yeah. don't know what Volker do. But Yeah. So in the book, the Volker are attacking them. There's like hundreds of them. So they're obviously outnumbered. Um, they're like swooping and diving and grabbing at passengers and like lifting them off into the unknown. Uh, one of them grabbed Alexi, who was Alina's cartographer friend that gave her the drawing and like wanted all the gossip uh, and carried him off. So that made her sad. Um, <laughs> but it didn't it, in the show. And that's no. the worst part. Because <laughs> in the show, it's her fucking fault that's that true. he's there in the first place. Yeah. And that that part pisses me off. But. Um, another Volcra comes for Alina and like tries to carry her off, but Mal, uh, comes to her defense and shoots it. Uh, so the Volcra sort starts attacking Mal instead and like claws his chest and injures him. Uh, so Alina grabs at its wing, (laughs) just like holds it by the wing and uses her knife to like stab at it. Uh, and then Mal sort of shot at it again and and killed it. But, you know, when you have something claw at your chest like that, you, you get really injured. In a ripped shirt kind of way and like, yeah, in like a exactly. hot kind of way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was essentially dying at this point. Um, Less hot. Uh, yeah. Uh, and more Volcra like start coming and like swarming to attack them. So Alina sort of like covers her body with mouths and is sort of like, well, he's dying. I'm about to die. Like she, she goes for it. Mm. A Volcra sort of grabs at Alina and sinks its talon into her shoulder and like starts to carry her into the sky. And 
according to the book now, this is what the book says. A sudden pierce of light moved across her eyes and she felt the Volcra let go and she fell back on the deck of the skiff and hit her head and got knocked out. So that's all we sort of know is a pierce of light moved across her eyes and the Volcra let her go. I do sort of like the show, the way the show did it. Because it's a similar thing. Like, yes, Mal is like dying and she's trying to protect him. Mm-hmm. But the Volker then goes to lift her up and Mal is like dying, but also like struggling like to not let her go. And yeah. she also doesn't want to let him go. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of our, our catalyst moment is it's, yes. again, it's the two of them together not wanting to be separated. Yeah. And then she gets knocked out, of course. Yeah. Because that's what happens after traumatic events, because (laughs) females are so... Delicate. Yes. (laughs) So, Alina wakes up, because this is from her point of view, so there's nothing between being knocked out and waking up. So she wakes up, and she's being guarded. And she doesn't really understand why. So she's like kind of trying to figure out what's going on. But everyone seems kind of weary around her and a bit afraid of her. And she, the only thing she really cares about is um, Mal. She's wondering where the hell he is and if he is okay. And um, nobody wants to tell her anything. And she's just very confused. So she's also wondering where they are because the last thing she knew they were in the middle of the fold. And now they're basically back in, uh, in Rafka on the same side that they started from and they have gotten nowhere. So basically the captain of the skiff, I guess is um, taking her back to the officer's tent And there's a corporalnik near her um, who's also guarding her. And this Grisha tries to tell um, the captain that it's a waste of time to kind of go to the officer's tent. Like, we should go talk to the Darkling, like, go to the Grisha. And he, the captain is, is... very dismissive and kind of treats the Grishas less than human, even though they're like obviously super powerful. They can do small science slash magic. Like it just seems very rude. Um, The Colonel pretty rudely asks Alina what she is. And she's very confused. And kind of like I said earlier, she, um, is a bit willfully ignorant in this part. Like, I understand thinking that you're a normal person, wishing you're a normal person, like you actively have pushed something down in your youth to make yourself a normal person. Yes, you're going to push back against all of this, but the book is in your head. So like, we know different. (laughs) Like we should hear a bit more about how you're maybe not so normal, but Eventually, they basically go to the Darkling's tent, and um, it's it's apparently beautiful inside. 
And we get our first glimpse of the Darkling as well. And he's very beautiful too. And he's the only Grisha that's allowed to wear black. And he looks about the same age as Alina. So he he looks very young. Um, We don't know his actual age, but he looks very young. Can I just say that like one of the draws that the show had for me was the fact that um, the actor who plays the Darkling is Ben Burns. I heart him so much. He was Prince Caspian in um, in uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Hmm. Uh, obviously the Prince Caspian, like the second film and the third film. And yeah. I, I just, I heart him. He is so... So cute. Yeah, I, I'm i in love with him. And like, I, I don't think it clouds my judgment for the Darkling because when I first read the book, I was also in love with the Darkling. Like, I yeah. just love a bad guy. Yeah. That's just who I am. But like, it, it kind of made it worse for me because you watch the show and you're like, yep. He's the one. <laughs> I heard OTP. <laughs> Basically. Like yeah. Darkly and Alina, go get married. This is why do we even have another season? I don't know. Yeah, I but. yeah, I agree. And like I'm not usually on the bad boy train, I don't think. Like <laughs> no, but not I like me. <laughs> not like you, but I am totally here for the Darkling. And and both separately and together. Like mm-hmm. I like Ben Barnes acting as the Darkling, but I also like the character of the Darkling. So like yeah. separately, I still like both of them. Agreed. Um, so Alina's in the tent now and the beautiful Grisha that found Mal hot is in the tent. And um, in the show, she played a more pivotal role before now. She was in a tent when he stole some, I think it was grapes, and they had a conversation and she wanted to sleep with him. And I think in the book, when he talks to Alina, he kind of implies that either he possibly could have slept with her. We don't, I don't think we really know if he did or not, but like she Alina, makes, yeah, she makes that that assumption yeah she makes the assumption that that they did i think i think it has to do with the fact that like the grisha is like really beautiful and like made the sex eyes at mal and he sort of like grinned back at Mm -hmm. at her and apparently it's like i don't know if i would say a rite of passage but like it's a ooh moment if you get to be with a grisha girl yeah so she's just assuming that it happened Yes. So this same Grisha is in the tent and she seems like another classic mean girl. Um, She's kind of laughing at Alina's appearance, like showing up. She's obviously not in the best state of mind or dress or anything after being through some trauma. Yeah. And like injury. Like she has, yeah, she was picked up and clawed at by a bat-like creature. She's like bleeding from her shoulder and her back. Yeah. And it's and like, then nothing to the head injury she just got. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, she should have been dressed better. Like, can you believe how dirty she is? It's like Basically. yes, 
bitch. Like, leave her alone. <laughs> exactly. So the, I guess the Darkling has organized this or people have brought them here, but the senior cartographer and another of um, the survivors from the skiff are brought in as witnesses. And um, Alina also finally sees that Mal is alive. And she's obviously very relieved to see this. Um, The soldier that's there kind of recounts what he saw happen on the skiff. Um, He kind of goes over the attack that we all know about. And then there was a bright light that looked like you were looking into the sun. And uh, then the captain ordered the vessel to turn back. And then the cartographer kind of basically tells the same story, but he adds that he saw a Volcra go after Alina and Mal, and he saw them go down, and then Alina lit up, and he says that the light came from her. And Alina just thinks that everyone's crazy at this point, and you can tell that there are many Grisha there, including Mean Girl, that think that this is ridiculous and there's no way that it's possible and like what is she a sun summoner that doesn't even exist so like not possible yeah they say that like a sun summoner is like a fairy tale Uh right there's no such thing as a sun summoner they're not real but like obviously when you're like oh well that's not real obviously that's (laughs) what we have yeah so the darkling now is like a bit scary and well in Alina's mind and she's like there are rumors about him that she kind of thought were foolish but now she's not really sure because she's obviously never been in his presence before and the Darkling asks Mal what he saw and he says that he saw the Valkra attack and then Alina screamed and the world was shiny um he doesn't Mal doesn't believe that Alina could have summoned the light because he knows her and he knows that she's just a normal human and there's no way that she could summon light. She's, she did the testing like everybody else. Like she's not a Grisha. So there's no way it could be her. I found um, Mal very like, almost like you could tell he was covering for her. Mm. Right. So like he was telling the story and telling how, like, yeah, the world was shiny, but, like, no, it definitely couldn't have been her. But, like, he, deep down, he knows exactly. Oh, that. he ha- he definitely saw it. Like, based on the, like, he didn't hit his head and then forget everything. Yeah. <laughs> Not forget everything, but he didn't hit his head and then black out. Like, he saw that it was her, and he probably, in his now maybe 18-year-old brain, thought back to when they were eight, and they said, we're going to take you and yeah if you're special and he was like no she's not special not that she's not special no she's not different they're not going to separate us yeah like he didn't he just didn't want to be separated i think as well but yeah in her it's such a hard book because it's obviously her point of view and i i didn't really question it until i saw the show because we do get moments from mal's point of view that make you realize that like show Mal seems a lot better than book book Mal because show Mal 
you can see how much he cares about her and book Mel it's from her point of view. So you don't know how much he could or could not care about her. But anyway, so the darkling goes to Alina and asks her what the hell is going on. And she says that she can't really remember it. Um, She can't figure out where the light came from. She, she saw it too, like everybody else, but she doesn't know where it came from. So the, Darkling asks her to hold out her arm and she's like kind of confused, doesn't really want to do it, but obviously doesn't have a choice. Um, and his palms curl with something black and he says, now let's see what you can do. And he brings them together with a very dramatic clap. And, uh, yeah, I kind of miss that in the show. Like in the show, yeah. <laughs> in the show, he never claps, but in the book, they often talk about him clapping his magic. And I'm like, that is the dramatic shit that I live for. Yeah. But in the, Agreed. in the show, he's like, he just like scratches her arm basically. And it shoots out of her cut, which I I didn't love that. But was that, was that in the book too? In the book, it's a bit in my mind in the book in my mind let me tell you what that means in the book through my (laughs) through my reading um the darkling kind of like so he puts his arm around alina's wrist and And then calls it out right calls the magic and then she pushes it back down because she's like oh i've done this before i don't like that and she pushes it down because that's how she's done it since she was a child right and it's it's not it's not she's not letting it come up and then he can sense that she's not letting it come up so he cuts her arm and she can't she like can't hold it back any longer and light explodes from her but hmm. i didn't think it exploded from her cut i thought that it just like came from her and i i don't think the cut was really what made it explode it just kind of took her defenses down because she was more scared if that makes sense yeah anyway i i think it was a bit different than the show like it's it's just like minor differences but i i enjoyed the book better but yeah (laughs) so she of course because she's a dainty female collapses Mm -hmm. again um, and the darkling catches her and he says, I guess you only look like a mouse. And that's an interesting thing to say to someone when they just collapsed. But <laughs> and, you, and this is your very first time meeting them. Yeah. But this is also the moment that I was like, who is this guy? Like, I think I think I could get behind this guy as a love interest. Like, Yeah. I stand a guy that knows that this woman is powerful and can't be fucked with. Like that's, I think that was my first moment of like, yes. But can I just, can I be honest though and say that like, I almost prefer show Alina in not in power, but sort of in like in how she deals with it. Mm-hmm. Every how she deals with everything. Like I find, Bookalina is very um, 
So like starts off very like, no, this isn't me. Like you've got some mistake and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then just sort of accepts everything very quickly and is content to let other people think for her and do everything for her. She's just a very passive um, protagonist. protagonist. And I find show Alina sort of a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more like, no, I'm going to take control of my own destiny and I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. I think, I think a bit of it does have to do with the point of view shift. Um, like we're in her head. And I think that is a negative, especially in the beginning of this part after she hit her head. Cause it, it shows how, how willing she is to be ignorant. And I, I think that does a disservice to her as a character. Whereas in the show, she can seem stronger because we don't know what's actually happening in her head. Yeah. Um, but obviously, that's how the book is written. So what are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. So the Darkling hands are off to um, get basically shipped to the little palace with an armed guard. Um, Ivan is a heart renderer and he takes her away and he's like a bit rough with her. And the darkling um, kind of gets mad at him and tells him to be careful because Alina is the Grisha now. Uh, She doesn't have a chance to say goodbye to Mal. And as she's leaving, she sees him and sees the confusion and panic in his eyes. And um, that obviously is like the last moment she has with him. Alina gets put in the Darkling's black coach, uh, basically against her will. She's trying to be like, I'm just a normal girl. Leave me alone. And um, they're like, stop being dumb. Um, There are people that are going to come and try to kill you now because they've probably heard about this. And they specifically say Fjordan spies and Shuhan assassins. So that's all we hear about them. There are very few words about things until we get into it later. But they, we will say they are, so Fjorda is um, another country and same mm-hmm. with Shuhan. There, it's, yeah. it's another country bordering with Ravka. So essentially saying that the other countries are going to come and hunt her down. Yeah. We also don't really get an explanation, but Alina is, is, I guess, a sun summoner, but like, there are no more. Yeah. She's it. Yeah. So just putting that out there. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like, it's a myth, but Mm. it's really not something that they get into the myth of in in the book. Right. Until... I don't even know if it's until like maybe the second book or something yeah. when I think it's book two. Yeah. So a woman healer um, gets into the carriage with her and um, is, is asked to basically take care of Alina's wounds and Alina's never been healed before. And she's really scared because obviously it's not, so she doesn't know if it's painful. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And, um, anyway, it's just, just kind of tickles. It's a bit itchy and she's fine. And then Ivan, um, 
basically tells the healer to give Alina her kefta and kicks the healer out. So we get a bit more about the kefta now, and it's a special fabric that can withstand bullets. And Alina kind of thinks about how it isn't fair that Grisha get this, but regular soldiers fighting in the first army are defenseless. And in the show, she actually like comments on it, but in the book, she kind of just thinks it in her head. Um, but it, it it is a good point, obviously. Like this fabric can withstand bullets. It, why isn't it being shared around? Yeah, and it's a reoccurring theme in the book too about like mm-hmm. the haves versus the have-nots. Exactly. Yeah. So we also get, um, I guess, the darkling symbol is on the the carriage, and it's two overlapping circles, which is the sun in eclipse. So it's just a point out of what his symbol is. Um, And they are on their way. And everyone in the carriage with her is staring at her. And she's kind of getting a bit pissed off. And she's like, what are they expecting me to do? Just burst into flames. Like, it's (laughs) it's getting to be too much for her. (laughs) So Fedyur introduces himself. And he's a heart renderer. And he explains that the fold does their enemies work. It isolates and kills them. And um, she could get rid of the fold if she could summon light enough to basically remove it. So that's kind of why all of the Grisha and all of the commoners even are praying for a sun summoner is because the sun summoner may have the ability to get rid of the fold's darkness. They kind of ask her how she hid her abilities and ask if she was tested. And she was, but she was older than most because she got tested when she was eight. Um, so we, we don't really hear much about how she fooled them. But I guess being older it was probably easier than if she was younger. She also doesn't really get into it either, does she? Like, No, I don't think she ever does. She never says, like, oh, you know, I just pushed it down. Like, she just says, yeah. I don't know. She sort of keeps clinging to this, um, you know, this imaginary, yeah, yeah, this untruth, we'll say, that she's normal. Yeah, exactly. So... The Darkling is what's called a human amplifier. Um, There's different kinds of amplifiers, but they basically bring out the magic. They make it easier to do magic. So if a Grisha as a child is near an amplifier, they'll show their powers basically kind of, I guess, against their will-ish. Like it's just easier to show yeah. it. So that's why they get tested really young and then normally it shows. So Fedyur also says that you could have different amplifiers and he has a bear claw and he had to kill it basically himself and now it amplifies his powers. And only the Darkling's favorites can are are allowed to have amplifiers. So Alina feels very sure 
and confident, basically, when the Darkling forced her power out of her. And it seems like she isn't used to this feeling. She isn't used to feeling confident in herself. And it kind of makes you think that she has been suppressing this for so long because she's afraid to be different that like letting it come out is who she truly is. And it's something that she's been missing in her life up until now, basically. Right. So they're on their way. (laughs) It is a very long journey, it seems, because um, like a few days and nights pass. She sleeps sporadically. Um, There's a bit of an interesting tidbit when Alina asks why Fedyur decided to be a heart render instead of a healer. And it's it's a nice moment for us as readers because it seems you can choose your speciality based on, I guess, I'm assuming the main type of Grisha you are is already set and then you might be able to choose between those. I don't know if we even get into more of this in any of the books, but I think this is the first time that it's mentioned. And um, he feels that he can do more good as a heart renderer. And it's interesting because a heart renderer is somebody that can basically slow down your heart or speed up your heart. Basically, I guess could make your heart race until you have a heart attack and die or slow it down until you fall asleep and die. Like it's, it's really, it's really a sign of the world that they live in and the time that they're living in, which is war that you would think that you could do better as a heart renderer. Yeah. So the carriage stops and um, someone comes back and says that there's a tree across the road, but it could be a trap. And it ends up that it is, which is like a huge parallel with Six of Crows, if you've read it. And it's kind of a little Easter egg there. Um, But the Fjordans are here. And she is told to stay inside the carriage. And they leave her with a large knife. Almost immediately, like, she's hauled from the carriage. It's really not a great plan. I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they didn't do a very good job of saving her. So she's she's hauled from the carriage, but she does fight back. She's in the first army. She knows how to fight. Um, she fights back with this knife, and then she runs. And a Fjordan catches her and tells her he's going to kill her and calls her a witch. And there's a moment where now you can hear horses coming, And it's a bunch of Grisha led by the Darkling. And he does his dramatic clap again, which is sorely missing from the show. But every time I read it in the book, I just think it's so extra and I love it. And the soldiers, um, it kind of, I guess he blinds them all with darkness and it gives the Grisha an advantage. And Alina a second to kind of like yell out her location and where she is. So the Fjordans seem to know a lot about the Darkling and this, the one specifically that is trying to kill Alina would rather try to kill Alina to keep her away from the Darkling than 
try to run away from the Darkling because he knows that either way, if he kills her, if he doesn't, if he runs, if he stays, he will be killed. So he actually, the Fjordan actually says about the Darkling that the Darkling will not have the witch. He will not have this power too. So that's kind of an interesting sentence to kind of Mm -hmm. get there. Tells you something about the Darkling perhaps. And then the Fjordan goes to stab her. And it seems, because obviously this is Alina's point of view, it seems like slow motion arc towards her chest. And Alina closes her eyes. And the Darkling makes arm movements and he makes a dramatic clap. And when Alina opens her eyes, the man on top of her is in two pieces. And one of them is falling onto her. Gross. And she panics, like, understandably. And uh, the Darkling says, the girl rides with me. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yes. I love that trope. Ah. I love when, yeah, I love when, like, you're in such a rush that they both have to get on the same horse. And that's, like, the trope in a lot of books. But I still Mm -hmm. love it when you got to gonna put your arms around her so that you can ride together and get up close and but also like he's being protective of her Mm -hmm. but it it really kind of and i don't think that it's our fault that we fell for the dark lane because it really makes you like it's a trope that makes you think yes this is the love interest like yeah that's always the way it goes if you're if you're on a horse together but al- but also, like, it sets up so early this, like, you know, the triangle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Alina with the boys she grew up with and the one that she always had a thing for versus the Darkling, who's, like, this super, fa- super powerful, like, misunderstood, like, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, person. And, you know, Alina has to pick which one she's going to want. Like, it's it sort of, it goes that way. Yeah. I like it more than most uh, triangles, I think. But I, I do fall for the dark line. But Alina at this point says, so you do make mistakes. And she really just, like, says shit without thinking about it because like this is the most feared being in this universe. It's almost like a Diana Matthew moment back to our first book, (laughs) but um, he's less crazy, which says something. I don't know if crazy is the right word. He's less reactive maybe. And he says, of course he does just not often. And he kind of almost already seems intrigued by her. Um, And he he tells her, I did what I had to, because she's obviously still a bit traumatized by having a body split in half on top of her. Um, Like like you would be. You know, it's not something that would be great. Yeah. So, yeah, they leave on the horse together. And he kind of calms her using his amplifying powers to make her feel sure and comfortable like she kind of talked about before and she falls asleep in his arms and again it's a trope that i love um 
after the first day of riding together, I guess more people show up to escort them and they, after this point, ride separately, which makes me sad in my tropey little heart. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Um, it's an uneventful journey and they stop at one point and Alina is obviously hella stiff. She hasn't really been on horseback like that as most people haven't. And she washes her face in a stream and she's kind of thinking about Mal and how a goodbye would have been awkward between them. And like, what could she really say to him? And she, she thought in her head, like, thanks for making my life bearable. And sorry, I fell in love with you for a while there. And it just seems like such a relatable yeah. sentiment. I really appreciated that moment. Mm. And she kind of like laughs about it and smiles. And the Darkling finds her at this point as she's smiling about something in her head. And <laughs> I also find this kind of relatable because I'm like, of course. Of course he finds you now while you're smiling about something that is just ridiculous in your head. And I I really enjoy the Darkling and Alina's banter. He's like a very powerful being, but he clearly is drawn to her. And it seems like more than just her power, he seems very interested in like the workings of her mind. She tells him that she isn't a Grisha. And he says that she doesn't understand at all and then refuses to explain. So she kind of like huffs off. Um that night, like after they've eaten, the Darkling comes over to sit by her and gives her some Voss, which is like maybe whiskey-like, hmm. seems like. And um, he tells her she can ask questions. And her first is interesting. She asks how old he is. And he says that he doesn't know. And she's kind of shocked by this answer. She's like, how do you not know how old you are? And he asks her basically the exact same question. And she's like, uh, shit, I don't know how old I am either because <laughs> I was an orphan. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like throwing the parallels in between them. And I think it's it's on purpose. But also I think – the Darkling is is kind of trying to shove the like show her the parallels. Um, he does eventually tell her that he's about 120-ish, but he looks the same age as her. And um, 120 is is longer than most Grisha's lives, but he, as the Darkling, lives longer than most. Yeah, I think he says it's relevant to your power. So, like, mm. he says that your power doesn't, like, take your life away. It enhances it. So the mm -hmm. more power you have and the, and the more powerful you are, the longer you'll live. Which, at this point, 120 is very old to look 17. So it's mm -hmm. like, how powerful is he? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So he asks... I guess she kind of brings up that she's heard a lot of stories about him and he kind of asks what stories they are. And we kind of get 
a little bit about Grisha life outside of Ravka territory. So they aren't treated nearly as well in other places. The Fjordans, which are the ones that attacked the carriages, they burn Grisha as witches. The Kirch um, sell them as slaves. The Shuhan carve them up, seeking the source of the power. So many Grisha would obviously rather go to Ravka and mm-hmm. fight in this war where they are revered and powerful and, and feared really by commoners because it, it, it's better than the alternative. Yeah. Um, this Darkling. So Darkling is just a title, basically. Like, it's just the title for the kind of summoner he is. But he is apparently the strongest Darkling in generations. And we only know him as the Darkling. In the show, he's known as General Kirigan. But okay. in the in the book, General Kirigan and the Darkling are two separate people. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, Lena also tells him that she heard a rumor Darklings are born without souls and they must be evil since a Darkling created the fold. And like, this seems like the most awkward conversation to ever have. Yeah, I'm not here for it. I'd like, I'm proud of her for just going for it. Like, yeah, I guess she got drunk off the kvass. Like, either that or she's been hanging around with dudes too much. Well, could be that too. Um, most soldiers that Alina knows in the army don't trust Grisha and have no allegiance to the Darkling, which is definitely interesting because they're clearly powerful and you would kind of want them on your side. So you'd think that you would be trying to make friends with them, but not the case. So this Darkling kind of says that his great, great, great grandfather whose nickname is the Black Heretic, is the one that created the Shadowfold. And it was a mistake. It was selfish and greedy, and every Darkling since has tried to undo it, including him. So that's a quote from this Darkling. And she is the first glimmer of hope he's seen in a while, and maybe a real solution to the, to the Fold. He also says the age of Grisha is coming to an end since weapons are getting more advanced and they need the fold gone. So West and East Ravka are united again. So they have a a moment in the show where Mal talks to, I guess, one of his commanders and he's like, we need to go after Alina. And the commander is like, when I first joined the army, they said that Grisha were worth 50 to one of us. And then firearms came around and then they said Grisha were worth 20 to one of us. And he's like, eventually we'll all be worth the same because we'll have the military power. And I think that was kind of a nod to this conversation. For um, sure. Yeah. But Alina can't get over the Darkling chopping that guy in two. Well, like, um, he was literally <laughs> trying to kill her. Like, appreciate that somebody saved your life. <laughs> right? And, like, if if he had used a gun, and I think she even says it in the book, she's like, if, if he had used a weapon, 
it would have been fine. But the fact that it was like just his mind, basically his powers, that's what really was scary. And that's like, that seems like a you problem, not a, not a actual problem, but (laughs) anyway, (laughs) they get to Ozalta and there's like a massive gate and dual walls to protect of protection. And the first ring or wall is basically a marketplace. But once you cross the bridge to get through the second wall, it's basically like all wealthy people and they're all like protected within this second wall. Um, the king's symbol we see is a double eagle and Ozalta Ravka, capital, um, has long been at war. Um, the Grand Palace is the king's winter home and it's basically in front of the little palace, uh, which is where the Grisha stay. And spoiler alert, the little palace is not little. Um, they call but it the little palace. Also, as they're, I like that like they have a little conversation as they're walking past the big palace and like the Darkling is like, how do you like it? Like, what do you think of the palace? And she's like, oh, it's nice. And he was like, I hate it. I think it's so ostentatious and ugly. And she's like, well, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. No, for sure. And and then they see the little palace and she's like, I don't understand why they call this little. This just seems <laughs> foolish. Like, it's not small. So she's basically taken up a million stairs, she feels like, to get to her room. And she is exhausted and doesn't want to walk up these stairs. When she gets up there, she declines a meal. And as the, I guess, maid that brought her there is leaving, she tells her to lock her door. And she's kind of like, why Why do I need to make sure the door is locked? And I guess it's kind of like maybe some foreshadowing in a way. And uh, she just, she goes to bed. If I got a cool night like that, I would not be able to go right to bed. No, that is, there's a lot happening. Just one last, I guess, note on the show is that I love the crows, but this this book isn't about them. So I don't feel like we should talk about them too much. But in the show, Jesper is the funniest character and I love him so much. I'm very excited for the second season. Yeah, I um I really didn't understand like when I was reading about the show the show coming out and they were saying how it was going to be a combination of the two mm-hmm. series. I really had no idea what that what that was going to look like. Well, yeah, I agree cuz when I read the books, like it's very obvious that Six of Crows happens after all of the Shadow and Bone trilogy. But based on the end of season one, I kind of think they're going to get into the plot of the first Six of Crows book in season two, which I would be very okay with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com. 
And be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coffee and Co-Read. So next week, we'll be reading the second part of Shadow and Bone. That's chapters 6 to 11. And we'll be talking about the next little bit of the show as well. Uh, Make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you in the next page.